This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Just think of him to be part of a presidential inauguration, and no small part either. You've been asked to lead the Pledge of Allegiance as the events kick off, and at the last minute, you forget the words. No pressure there, right? Oh yeah, and as you recite it, can you do it in American Sign Language as well? In just a minute, we're going to talk to the person who got that done. But first, a word from our sponsor. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet the challenges you face every day to help keep you safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe. That's msafire.com slash globe. Andrea Hall is a fire captain for the South Fulton City Fire Rescue in Georgia and president of IAFF Local 3920. In 1993, Captain Hall became the first female firefighter hired with the Albany, Georgia Fire Department, and in 2004, became the first African-American woman to be promoted to captain at Fulton County Fire Rescue. Paul has also served in other capacities, CEO and chair of the board and licensed EMT with multiple first responder agencies, and currently serves as a mentor, instructor, and guest motivational speaker. She serves as a member uh, or appointed leader in various professional and community organizations, including the IAFC, the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, the International City Managers Association, Women in Fire, and Fire Department Safety Officers Association. And oh, yeah, she finds time to write for Fire Rescue One. Uh, She'll be writing for our upcoming special series coverage on discipline. In January 2021, Captain Hall led and signed the Pledge of Allegiance during the presidential inauguration of Joe Biden. Captain Hall, welcome to the Side Alpha podcast. Thank you, Chief. I'm so excited to be here today with you. (laughs) I am excited as well. I I can't imagine the honor, you know, a presidential inauguration is quite an honor, Uh, but we're going to get to that later in the conversation. Uh, Before we talk about inaugural, I'd like to talk to you about some unique leadership challenges in uh, the fire service. Mm -hmm. So, Captain Hall, let's dive right into the fire service leadership. You wrote a great piece for Fire Rescue One, recently titled uh, Seven Ways to Develop Future Fire Service Leaders Across a Generational Chasm, mm-hmm. which addressed diverging leadership styles in the fire service and um, evolving our own leadership styles with times. For our uh, listeners, we're going to include a link to that article on the show notes, so folks watch for that as, uh, as you're listening here. Can uh, Captain Hall, can you share the story from the article about the tale of two leaders uh, early in your career and what you learned from that experience? Oh, yeah, that was a very interesting time in my life. I was a very young woman. Actually, I was 19 years old, just getting started in the fire service, really getting started in life. And um, at the time I was going to recruit school, I was really excited about uh, becoming a firefighter and um, having an opportunity to prove to the uh, organization that I was worthy of being there. 
And um, so my first assignment, I was sent to what they called uh, one of the outlying stations, you know, like the retirement home essentially is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got there, I was a little bit disappointed because all of my peers got uh, these, you know, really running hot stations. And here I am going to the retirement home. And um, so I get there and I meet these gentlemen and they're all uh, let's see how I want to say this. They're probably getting their AARP cards. Yeah. <laughs> careful now, careful. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they were like, you know, grandpas, definitely uncles at that point. Sure, sure. So, but the beauty of being there with them is I think in their own way, they really were trying to protect me, not just the, the gentleman that I w- was working with, but even the department. I think in their little way, they thought, okay, this is the best way to try to protect this, this girl. Um, and I don't knew I don't know if they felt that there was another way to do that. So one of the things about um, leadership styles, I think that they're really determined by the individual filters that we're operating from. And so here I am with a bunch of older men who are close to retirement. Um, you know, they're not interested in rocking the boat. They don't want to be involved in any scandals. They just want to kind of lay low and make sure that, you know, there are no problems. So they sat me down very early and said, hey, listen, um, you know, we're here to help you. We're here to make sure that you're successful. You know, your success is a reflection of us. And they were very serious about that. They took that very seriously. So we did a lot of training. We did a lot of, um, um, you know, making sure that we were all on the same page as a team so that if anything happened, I was prepared. I didn't know how much of a favor they had done me by doing that. I thought, you know, I was upset about it for a while. So I had my first fire with those guys and we had a great time. I mean, we had to give them a little bit of oxygen afterwards, but, (laughs) but it was all good. Um, so shortly after that though, I was feeling a little restless and I wanted to be in the action. I wanted to be in the middle of everything. So I, I talked with my captain at the time to make sure that he would, you know, be okay. And initially that was met with, a little bit of reservation because he was like, well, you know, I don't want you to get hurt. And I said, listen, I, I didn't come here to just waste away out here at this station. I want to be able to get out there and do this and show you guys that I'm deserving of this opportunity. So we met with my battalion chief and he came to the station and I was expressing to him as well that I wanted to go and for in the reasons. And so he had a little bit of trepidation. And so finally I asked him, I said, chief, this is completely off the record. You know, we should never trust people when they say that, but you know, he could trust me. Mm. I said, this is completely off the record. How do you feel about me being here? And he said, off the record. I said, yes, off the record. Between me and you won't go out of this office. He said, honestly, I don't think you need to be here. I think you should be at home with your husband, raising your babies. Alrighty. And I was like, wow, okay. And I said, well, I'm here now. And you guys are going to have to deal with me. So we just need to figure out how to move this thing forward. So I but I did tell him I appreciated his honesty, you know, because a lot of people were feeling that way, but they couldn't say it. But they were acting it out. They weren't saying it, but they were acting that way toward me. Sure. What what year was this? This was 1993. Mm, OK. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, fast forward the next shift, I get a transfer and I go to this running station. So I'm super excited. I'm happy. And I get to this station. Of course, the the people there are a little bit younger, a little bit more active. They're not as close to retirement. And 
there is a marked difference in the reception, a marked difference in the articulation of what the expectation was of me. So the first thing that the captain told me is, you know, I don't think you should be here. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. None of your smart ideas. None of you just do what I tell you to do and don't get in my way. And I was like, wow. So that that initial feeling of support and encouragement and protection went out of the window in a matter of moments. So then I started to feel very uncomfortable about how, you know, how to proceed. And so I had a driver. He was a senior member of the department that was that was supportive. He kind of took that role of of saying, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. But this particular captain did everything he could to try to um, get me to quit or to either get me fired or or whatever. We had a rule in the department that if you missed a call, you would be disciplined for that. Like, I guess, sleeping and not getting up to, to catch the call or whatever. So I had gone out to take the garbage out after dinner one night. We get a call. And of course, I couldn't hear it in the back. They left me. Mm-hmm. So when they came back to the station, he was trying to write me up. And and the guys stood up for me at that point. They were like, hey, we told you she was taking out the garbage. You told us to just leave. And we didn't think that was right. Yeah. And so that was the first time that I came face to face with um, feeling like there were people who just didn't like you because of whatever their reasons were. They had nothing to do with you because I had only just met the guy. He knew nothing about me. And it was a very unsafe feeling. It put me on the defensive. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that uh, makes me think about that old school mentality. That's why I asked the year. And, you know, 93, we certainly should have been coming out of that. But mm-hmm. how can fire service leaders in 2021 focus on helping members thrive and and packing away that old school mentality that, um, you know, you said that captain said to you, basically rookies should be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. And, and how, um, how do we find the balance between everyone having a voice and rookies learning to respect their captains and chiefs? Mm-hmm. Those are good questions. Um, you know, first of all, you know, I believe for me, everything goes back to being open to considering that it is okay to try new things and understanding that everyone, young, old, experienced, inexperienced, has something of value to offer. Um, we we have to, I think, as leaders, be willing to, there's a book that they wrote called Move with the Cheese. I can't say that I really read the book, but but I like the title, right? And, and I think we have to be willing to move with the times if we're going, going to be effective leaders. Um, and like I was saying before, I think as individuals, you know, we lead through whatever our own personal filters are. And that can be the challenge. Um, I think in terms of balancing, uh, you know, getting respect from the members and still allowing them to have a voice, a lot of that is really not that difficult because we have a certain standard that we're a minimum standard that we're supposed to operate uh, within anyway in the job. There we have SOPs, guidelines, rules, those things. That's in any situation um, that sort of I, I think establish the standard for how we should operate minimally. Everything else I think is about the example that the leader sets. We have to be willing to lead by example. Um, And often that's very challenging. It's challenging to do because it's easier to tell someone what they should be doing 
and it's more difficult for us to check ourselves. Um, I think also, um, well, I'm going to use a sports analogy. So when you play football, we'll use football. That's a that's a team sport. Every position has its role. And in order for the team to be a winning team, each person has to play their position to whatever level they're expected to play it. So if you have a quarterback who's trying to go out and be a wide receiver, then you're going to have problems. Or if you have a wide receiver who's trying to play quarterback or running back or play out of their position, you're going to have problems. So sometimes the challenges come when we're not playing in our positions. When you are the designated leader, but you're still trying to do firefighter stuff and you're not giving those people who are in those roles an opportunity to operate efficiently and successfully in those positions. And you're not giving them the resources to be successful. Sure. Yeah. So I think um, the balance comes with um, communication, being being willing to engage in communication with people, even if they don't have share the same thought processes that you do or the same belief systems that you do. You have to be able to engage people in conversation, understanding that everybody on your team has something of value to offer, um, being willing to uphold the minimum standard of, of uh, behavior or whatever it is we're supposed to be doing, being willing to do that regardless of uh, what someone else thinks, especially if it's surrounding safety. Uh, and I just think being willing to play your position. Yeah, as, as part of the team, play play your position as part of the team. Mm-hmm. As part of the team, right. Yeah. Yeah, you describe yourself as, um, or you have described yourself as a, a servant leader with transformational leanings. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, and uh, to you, <laughs> and and how can others follow this approach to leadership? Well, you know, servant leadership uh, is a philosophy that um, essentially says that leaders understand that their job is to really serve the people. It's not for the people to serve them. And uh, there's a gentleman, his name is Robert K. Greenleaf. He's sort of like the, the modern day founder of, of the, the, the um, servant leadership movement. And there were a couple of questions that, this is why I believe that you know this is more how I operate. There were a couple of questions that he asks and um, I'll, I'll share them right here. One of the questions uh, or two of them actually, it says, do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous or, you know, self-governing, more likely themselves to become servants? If, as leaders, we are not ensuring that the people that we lead are becoming better, healthier, wiser, freer, stronger, then I think we are failing them in some way. Because what we have to understand is that at the end of that hose line, there's a whole human being. And so we're not just concerned about fighting fire or running EMS calls. Because the question I would ask is, what business are we really in? Is that the business that we're in? I personally think that we're in the business of people. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're in the business of growing people and developing people. And so... I believe that it is my job to ensure that that happens, to give them the resources to be successful at whatever level they're on. And then those people above me should do the same for me. 
which is why I consider myself a servant leadership. My job is to serve those people who are, I am responsible for. Um, in terms of, um, you asked me a second question, I'm sorry. Oh, transformational leanings. Yeah, I do think I have those. Um, and, and you know, part of that is transformational leaders are the people who establish the vision for the group or the organization. And they are the people who provide the inspiration to uh, execute whatever the change is. You know, they encourage and motivate. Those are sort of the buzzwords around transformational leaders. And those are all things that I think I do. And those are qualities that I exhibit in terms of uh, the way I lead and mentor and coach my team. Yeah, no, good good stuff. Mm -hmm. So you, you also um, have prided yourself on, on bringing out the best of your team uh, and mm -hmm. that's great. So what's your secret? <laughs> uh, meeting them where they are. Mm -hmm. That's the secret for me is, is meeting people where they are because everybody brings something unique uh, and different to the, to the table. Also, people are at different phases in their lives. You know, you come into, and you see this even in the, in the organizations, you have young people come into the organization uh, they don't have a lot of um, attachments at that stage in their lives. They're usually not married, no children. They're coming right out of high school or college. Mm -hmm. And um, their desire to be successful or to promote or to move up the ladder is very high at that time. So they need a different sort of support than maybe a person who has come into the organization. They've been there five or 10 years they've married, they've had, uh, their family has grown, they have a different set of priorities. And so their ability to um, prepare for promotions may not be the same way one of those newer people with less attachments. Then you have people who are getting into their 15, 20 year mark, they've made a few promotions, they're starting to look over the dashboard to retirement, and their needs are going to be different. Their ideas about where they want to go in the organization or not are going to be different. So I think the most important thing is uh, meeting each individual that you're responsible for where mm -hmm. they are currently. Right. Being flexible enough to to move with them as things in their lives change and understanding that everybody's not going to want what you want. You may have a person on your crew who has the you can see them and say, wow, this guy has so much potential or this young lady has so much potential. I can see them being a such and such. Right. But when you go to them and you present that as an option for them, they say, well, no, that's not something I'm interested in. Should we malign them because they're not interested? Not at all. Everybody's path is different. You know, as long as they're meeting whatever those minimum uh, acceptable standards are, then I think you have to concede to what's important to them. And that's how I've been able to be successful in developing my people, because um you know, they pretty much know what they want. And so I support them in getting that. And then as they begin to see some success, often they're sparked and then they'll say, Captain, I want to do more. Or can you, you know, show me how to get from here to here? I didn't even know this was possible. Yeah. Well, I just think it starts with with first um, meeting them where they are. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely uh, words, words to live by. Let's pause for just a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear, developed as athletic gear for firefighters, 
Athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your turnout gear. Get the full story at msafire.com globe. That's msafire.com globe. Let's shift gears a bit uh, in our conversation with Captain Hall here. Um, can you share a bit about what it was like to be the first uh, female firefighter in Albany, Georgia, and then the first African-American woman to be promoted to captain in Fulton County? And kind of talk about, um, not so much a question, but talk about how gender has played a role in your, you know, your fire service experience. Mm. So, you know, when I first started in Albany, I was very young. Like I said, I was 19, um, inexperienced in the fire service for sure, and, and even in life. And I was just happy to be there. I, I had no idea um, sort of the far-reaching implications of being the first woman on that department and what that would mean for even uh, other people in the department. So, you know, I didn't understand at that time um, how... Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, so you didn't understand the impact, really. Yeah, no, and I didn't understand how it was impacting uh, the the people that were working there before me. So I I will say this about myself, um, and I've, I've grown into this. I do think I'm a fairly empathetic person, and I can see things from the other person's side. So when I first came, there were a lot of changes made to to, uh, some of the SOPs, even about swaps. I was swap policy, and that's what like shift trades, right? Right. That was changed when I came, and they they made it so that you could not trade shifts for people between stations. You could only trade at your station because they didn't want me working at other stations. Hmm. And so there were a lot of changes made um, because I came. And there were even a couple of wives who were uncomfortable about me being there. They were saying, you know, we don't want her sleeping with our husband. And I was thinking, have you seen your husband? But I mean, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> so I was just, but I wasn't prepared for any of that because that wasn't, I wasn't thinking like that when I came onto the department. I didn't think it was going to be that big of an issue. But okay. when I started to understand that this was sort of upsetting um, some things, even for the people that were there, I started to be a little more. Uh, understanding and a little bit more patient, but I was also more vocal about how these things were. I was I was more assertive about having conversations, like opening up the conversations, which is why I asked my battalion chief that question, because sometimes if you can talk about it and you can really get your truth out, you even see for yourself, OK, that's kind of silly. Or there's an opportunity for us to discuss it and find something that's comfortable for everybody involved. And so I found myself being able to do that a lot more after I realized that it wasn't just about me, you know, being my, whatever my rights were, I thought they were being infringed upon. Um, but it was also um, a situation where people were gonna have to make some adjustments too in things that they had been accustomed to doing for so many years. Yeah. Yeah, so it kept me from being really bitter and salty too, you know, because there were a lot of um, attempts, I think, to to discredit me, to 
uh, run me off. That was the term. We're going to run you off. <laughs> so yeah. it's funny to me now, but Heck, um, I've heard that before myself. Yeah. So there were a lot of there was a lot of that in 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 at the base of it. There, I mean, at the at the foundation of all, all of that, it was baseless. N nobody really had a a reason other than you're a girl and we don't want to work with any girls. And now we have to sleep in pajamas. And I can't keep my girly magazines in the bathroom and, and I got to close my locker, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, that was that was real stuff. And even, you know, to me, I was like, you should want to do that. But, you know, I was coming into an environment that has essentially been sort of like a a, a fraternity or, a you sure. know, it was a boys club. Yeah, a boys club. Right. And so I had to have some sensitivity to that as well. If, if I'm going to be completely honest and that, that, you know, nobody really disrespected my person. It was just, you know, we don't want you here and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But nobody touched me. Nobody, you know, none of those things. I didn't have any of that. And and I, you know, I wouldn't have tolerated any of that, but it was just the attitudes that we had to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you and as you describe that, it reminds me of a, a book I read and, and wrote a small piece on recently titled uh, Fierce Conversations. So I encourage mm -hmm. you and, and others to, to read that by Dr. Scott if, uh, if you have not. Uh, it right. really can help when you open up and have those conversations that uh, others just don't want to have or that you, you tend to shy away from. Somebody's got to break that ice. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. uh, and why not but, you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you feel your experience as a woman in the fire service has uh, given you the, you know, increased insight on how to lead uh, or supervise members overall and um, uh, you know knowing how members get, can face resistance I and mean, you feel like being a woman in the fire service that's increased that insight oh for sure it has uh it certainly has made me uh be the leader mentor coach etc that i always wished i had had but couldn't sure. find yeah. during those times. Um, you know, when I first came on in Albany, there were no women. There were no women anywhere in the vicinity. Yeah. The closest women to me in the fire service were in were three hours away in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And uh, I didn't even know how to reach out to them. At those times, you know, there were no cell phones. So we had the yellow pages and the, the big, you know, and everything was long distance. So who's got the AARP card now? <laughs> Uh -huh. right. right anyway i do have one um uh, but yeah so there were there was it was difficult to connect you would have to write letters or you know try to make long distance phone calls to find people and so it was challenging and i knew what i needed for me to thrive i'm you know i'm a fairly self-starting person but sometimes you do need direction or you need someone to vent to or you need someone to sort of uh, run things by say hey what do you think about this i'm thinking about this but i didn't have that mm -hmm. and so i desperately needed that and i needed to be in an environment that i wasn't judged by every little thing that it would be okay if i made a mistake because i'm a rookie because i don't know i haven't been here as long as you have but i came into the environment where i had this understanding that I have to be perfect or it's going to be a problem. Yeah. They're picking so, everything apart. Yes. And so that was difficult. You know, it's difficult to maintain that and to, to, to try to uphold whatever unreasonable standard someone has for you um, for an extended period of time. So I always knew that when I was in a position to lead other people or in a position where I had to manage other people, 
um, that I would be the type of person who led with empathy, uh, respect, dignity, and I was a supportive, um, li good listener too. And that I listened and I tried to understand where my people were coming from so that I could help them. And so that was something that was very important to me very early on because I didn't have that. And I realized, too, this is something else I realized um, very early on. It takes a lot of courage to be a leader. It takes a lot of courage to lead other people because there's this unreasonable, I think, sometimes expectation that people who are in leadership never make mistakes, that mm -hmm. they have all the answers, that they know exactly what to do all the time. And I think even leaders uh, fall to that fallacy as well. They accept that, that I've got to know everything. And I think the best leaders are ones who are able to say, you know, I don't know. Or, you know what? I made a mistake and I'm going to hold myself accountable for that. Because it's not the end of the world. Sure. And so I, I pride myself on being that type of person as well. You know, if I'm if I made a decision and it wasn't the best or the most right decision, I'm willing to say, hey, I made that decision. It's on me without pointing the finger to somebody else and say, but if so-and-so hadn't done such and such, we wouldn't be. I, I don't do that. Sure. You know, yeah. and I'm not perfect by a long shot, but I do work on myself. Yeah. And I think that's um, a as leaders, you leadership starts from the inside. It's an inside out job. Right. Because mm -hmm. you cannot lead someone. The, the, let me say it like this. This is what I want to say. The most difficult person to lead and to manage is yourself. Right. And if you go about the business of leading yourself, you begin to understand just how difficult it is. And I think it helps you to become more patient with other people. It helps you to understand when you're being unreasonable, when you're asking someone to do something that may be a little unreasonable for them. Because if you are working on yourself, you know that's a task. So it must be difficult even for other people sometimes. Yeah, what, what are you saying there? Well, I'm just saying, you know, that you're, the, you're the, exactly the, right. Yeah. The hardest person to lead is the person in the mirror. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. There's no kidding about that. Yeah. Let's shift gears, uh, shift gears one more time. Sure. Talk about the inauguration. <laughs> we, we covered the story in Fire Rescue One and, and we'll share uh, once again in the show notes. We'll share that as well. So folks uh, look for that. But can you uh, capture what? that day was like uh, and you know in particular were there any snapshots of time that stand out <laughs> yeah there were a few that stood out but most of it was really a blur because when i got the call and was asked to um participate i think after that everything was a fog you know because there was so much happening in such a short period of time there had been an incident at the white house prior to i mean i'm sorry at the yeah uh at the um what am I trying to say? Where the inauguration was. There had been sure. an incident. And so there was everybody was on high alert. And it was the same thing that was going on with the preparation of the inauguration. So people kept asking me, are you scared? Are you nervous? Are you just like, no, not at all. Um, but I was nervous about. Forgetting my, the words. Yeah, exactly. About my presentation. Right. You know, because. Here I am. I'm I'm representing an organization. Um, I'm representing these firefighters. That's 400,000 people in the country. Um, I'm representing women. I'm representing my family. 
It's just a lot. So, and here I am going to be on this world stage. I'm really intrinsically a shy person. People laugh at me when I say that, but I really am very shy. Mm. I'm like a closeted introvert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't really like a lot of attention like that. I didn't even have social media before this happened. This was, you know, I just got social media back in January sometime. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So I, you know, am not. So I was dealing with all of that, you know, the nerves associated with that. Um, but more than anything, just wanting to get it right. And so funny story. Um, my sister was my plus one. My sister is a chief fire marshal in Savannah, Georgia. Her name is Whitney Williams and Whitney Williams Smith. Let me not say she's married. And um, we were sitting on the stage and Lady Gaga goes up and she's doing her part. Right. And so mm-hmm. I know that means, you know, that's kind of my cue. I'm getting ready to go up. So as Lady Gaga is finishing her song, I totally forget the words to the pledge. I was like, what the what? So I turned to my sister. I said, Whitney, I forgot the words. She was like, girl, you better get it together. This is not the time to forget the words. So yeah. she gave me the first line, right? I pledge allegiance. I was like, okay, okay, I got it. Anyway, so, uh, I can only imagine. Oh my God. That was, oh my God. So yes, that was, um, that was a moment. But the highlight of it for me was uh, there are a couple things, but I got an opportunity to fist bump the president twice. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Um, And uh, the the I would say the atmosphere, the energy there was very warm and loving. It was it was frigid that day, though. It was very cold. But everybody was um, very nice and, and inviting and warm. And it was almost like they were looking forward to. Uh, this transition. It was very palpable, you know, and um, I got an opportunity to meet quite a few of the past presidents and their wives, um, really wonderful people. I met Amanda Gorman and uh, Lady Gaga, J-Lo, just it was it was an awesome event. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's got to be, uh, you know, just just the honor. You know, I've I've met uh, uh, President Biden when he was vice president several times and mm-hmm. My roles in the D.C. area and uh, uh, nothing but an honorable guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but then to meet the other presidents and their wives, I mean, just mm-hmm. the the power of that has got to be awe inspiring. And it was, you it know, was. if if you a person like you and, and maybe you can speak to this, you're probably able to take away some leadership tidbits just from observing those people. Mm hmm. I'm going to tell you what I did take away. And let me say this, by the way, too. They are very beautiful people. Like television does them no justice. <laughs> they are beautiful in person, right? Are we talking about Lady Gaga there? Or President well, Lady Gaga is beautiful, too. But I meant the past presidents. I meant, you know, <laughs> and their wives. Like television doesn't really do them any justice. When you see them doing these, um, um, their uh, news, I mean, what do you call them when they do their, um, oh, my God. You know what I'm saying? When they come up to the podium and they have to get press briefings, their briefings yeah, and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, the television doesn't, you know, they look like gray hair and all this. <laughs> but in person, they are beautiful, beautiful yeah. people. But what I took from that, because um, Vice President Pence came to the inauguration. And one of the things that I saw is just because we have philosophical differences, right? does not necessarily mean that we cannot find some point of uh, agreement and allow that to be the bridge between us. And so I think that's very important. And I think we have to remember that even in our personal lives, at home, uh, at work, 
you know, we're not going to always share the same philosophy about anything or agree about everything. But at the end of the day, if we have to just go back to the basics, we're all human being, human beings. And then even in the firehouse, we're all firefighters. And so that by itself should bridge a lot of what we, you know, consider challenges between us. Just start there. And let's work our way to all the other connecting points between us. So that's one of the things that I did take away uh, from that day. I thought that was very, um, you know, um, good of him to come because he could have opted not to. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you actually just gave me a, a title for uh, um, an article coming up. So uh, <laughs> you'll when you see it, you'll know that uh, you were the... Um, you were the genesis of that. So uh, oh, that's, that, that's good stuff. So uh, w was there one particular highlight from the day other than, than the one where you remembered the words? Um, yes, that I got through it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. no. OK, so this is the other thing. I think for me, if I said a personal highlight, um, <clears throat> I, I enjoyed uh, being there and witnessing um, all of the talent that was there. I got an opportunity to see Bernie live and in prison before he became a meme. And did just he have did he have his gloves on? He did have his gloves on. Okay, he did. He was, the meme ca captured him perfectly. <laughs> but um, but I got an opportunity to see him live and in person. But I think for me, um, before I did the pledge, I had to do a little bit of research. And so in doing the research, I realized that the pledge was written for little immigrant children, right? Mm -hmm. That had come to this country from some other place in the world. And it was a way for them to develop or form uh, sort of a kindred relationship with this country. And I started thinking, I said, you know, in some way we're all immigrants, regardless of how we got here. And, you know, there are several conversations we can have about being African-American in this country and what that means. But at the, <clears throat> at the, you know, the bottom line of it is that we're all from someplace else and we all immigrated here. Mm -hmm. And so that pledge was written for all of us to have a <clears throat> stronger, deeper, more loving connection to this country. Sure. And I think if we were to, all of us, we were to meditate on those words and what they really mean and what the initial impetus was for them, we would maybe do a little bit better about how we treat one another, you know? Yeah. Now that, that's good stuff. Do you, you got any parting words or advice for fire service leaders? Yeah. You know, I, I think what I would say is as leaders, you know, the first thing is that we, we certainly need to be about the business of continually working on ourselves, working to improve ourselves, knowing that, you know, we're not perfect and we always require uh, some adjustments and to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I say work on yourself first, practice patience, lead by example, you know, don't ask people to do things that you're not willing to do. And I think that's how you get the respect of your people as well as by setting the example and leading by the example. Sure. Listen, 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 and listen some more. I mm -hmm. think that's an underrated skill. You know, we don't do it as much as we should. I think we need to empower our people, empower them to be successful, empower them to be the best of what they are, whatever that is. Uh, give them the resources and the tools that they need to be the best that they can be. I'll say to, I would also say put them in a position to be successful by giving them uh, the resources like training and mentoring and coaching. 
in, in those things that um, will help them to be better people at the end of the day, because in all truthfulness, we're not just developing firefighters, we're developing human beings. Well, that's great stuff. Um, I'm going to take some uh, some of the takeaways here from our discussion with uh, Captain Andrea Hall. She talked about individual leader filters and how that influenced her career. I encourage you to go back and listen to that uh, to that place in our discussion. And then we talked about uh, how fire service leaders um, can help members thrive and, and put away that old school mentality. And uh, Captain Hall talked about being open to trying new things, how um, everyone has something to offer, remembering that everyone has something to offer, uh, leading by example, engaging people, and playing your role as part of the team. Uh, she uh, talked about herself as a servant leader and the transformational leanings she has, her own description, uh, and how um, the leader's job is to serve people, not vice versa, and to make sure that people become better. Uh, and become better human beings, uh, believes that we should be developing and uh, growing people and providing that motivation, which is absolutely right. Um, then, as we talked about uh, her ability to lead the team, uh, asked her what her secret was. She talked about uh, people, uh, I'm sorry, she talked about meeting people where they are. Uh, pretty powerful little statement there, meeting people where they are, realizing that everybody's different, there's no cookie cutter approach, to managing people, but meeting them where they are. To be flexible, everybody's not going to want to do what you want to do. Uh, and then we went in and, and talked about her experience as uh, the the first uh, female firefighter in Albany and the first African-American woman to be promoted to captain in uh, Fulton, South Fulton. Um, and she admitted that it took a while for her to understand the impacts, especially being that first firefighter uh, female firefighter in Albany uh, when there was nobody else, no other females in a three-hour radius. Uh, we talked about having fierce conversations and making sure that, uh, you know, you're not afraid to speak up and to have those conversations. And then as we talked a little bit more about uh, her experience as a woman in the fire service, we talked about those struggles of uh, not having any uh, peers, uh, female peers in a three-hour radius and, and how that provided the drive to her to succeed, to admit her mistakes, and to move on as a team, not to look back or uh, accuse others of uh, shortcomings. We shifted into talking about the inauguration and um, the experience that she had there, and she uh, we talked somewhat whimsically about uh, fist-bumping President Biden and her uh, meeting uh, Lady Gaga and the things that went on there. Uh, she talked about the, just that warm and inviting atmosphere of the inauguration amidst all of the hoopla that we saw. Um, uh, it was interesting to hear that that atmosphere uh, was what it was and how the past presidents and their wives uh, were just, just good people to be around. Um, the interesting piece there was uh, talking about how Vice President uh, Pence came to the uh, inauguration and how uh, her assessment of the philosophical differences and, and what she took away from that in an article that will soon come out with a title, something like uh, uh, philosophical differences shouldn't be differences. They should be bridges to opportunities. And that is the um, the essence of what she took away from just that one little interaction of uh, Vice President Pence showing up. Uh, asked her what the highlight of her day was. She said she really didn't have a highlight of the day per se. She had a highlight of the event. 
And that was the study of the Pledge of Allegiance that she did in advance and what that really meant. And I encourage everyone to do that same self-study. And then she talked a little bit more about uh, making sure that we understood before we left that we need to improve ourselves first. We need to practice patience. We need to lead by example. We need to listen, 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 and listen more. And we need to empower people with resources, training, and coaching. Andrea, thanks for joining us. That's all we have time for today. We've been talking with Captain Andrea Hall from the city of South Fulton Fire Rescue. Thanks to our listeners for hanging out with us. This is Mark Bache, your executive editor for FireRescueOne.com. Have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, 